Hey, everybody. Welcome to Ask Me Anything. I am Matt Love. I am here with J.D. Greer, and we are continuing our series, going through some topics from J.D.'s newest book, Essential Christianity, The Heart of the Gospel in 10 Words. Um, This is a great resource. We're really excited to be kind of walking through some of it. Um, If these podcasts have been engaging, if it's been interesting, we definitely encourage you to pick up the book. It's available now at thegoodbook.com. And J.D. just goes deeper into some of these questions and some of these ideas um, than he obviously can on the podcast. We're excited to continue on with that series. So, J.D., the question today, is downplaying the sinfulness of homosexuality necessary to reach the next generation? Um, And I actually noticed in your book there's a a four-page, I think you called it an intermission on this topic in Essential Christianity. So why did you include that in the book? Uh, Yeah, Matt, you know, that's an interesting question because I actually had one good friend say, hey, I think you should leave this out because I feel like you're raising a question that doesn't need to be answered. It's going to become a full stop. And it's true. I mean, for a lot of people, that is what what we call a defeater, Uh, you know, a reason that they will not even consider the essence of the Christian faith is because they think anything that were to teach something so outrageous that God's plan for sexuality is one man, one woman in the context of a married relationship, I, I won't even begin consideration of that. So there was a big part of me that thought, you know, well, maybe I should just like not bring this up so that I don't, you know, cause people who it's sort of a don't ask, don't tell, I won't bring this up and it won't cause a problem. And I went back and forth because I, I recognize that, you know, sometimes when when you're dealing with the essence of the gospel, there are certain issues you can, you know, you can at least time when you want to talk about them. I mean, not even Jesus talked about everything at once. You know, sometimes he said, hey, there's a lot of things that you need to hear, but you're not ready for them yet. And there are times I'm witnessing sharing Christ with people. And I'm like, you know, this um, we could really get in the quagmire here of what you know, what the Bible teaches on this, when really the the centerpiece that I'm trying to get to is the Lordship of Christ and his finished work. And so that's an important question, but let's just, let's, let, let, let's, let's punt that a little bit down the road and let's deal with the, the central gospel question. And maybe I should do that with this book. In the end, as you know, you can see, I decided to put in a, a, a small chapter that explains the view um, that Christians have historically believed about this. Um, for a couple of reasons. One, the book of Romans, that's actually a, a, a pretty significant part of Romans chapter one, when Paul talks about the evidence of our rebellion against God. And I figured anybody that was reading along in the book of Romans with me, as I go through this book and talk about the essentials of Christianity would say, hey, that's a big glaring problem. You can't just, just skip over it. And that's probably the first you know, reason I would say that I don't believe downplaying the, the question of homosexuality, I don't think that's something we can do anymore. Um, the 1990s, we sort of had this don't ask, don't tell policy when it came to homosexuality. That was literally the name of an approach that Bill Clinton took toward homosexuals in the military. Uh, don't ask, don't tell. And there's a lot of churches that want to treat this issue like that today, like, hey, let's just not bring it up. But the problem is, because we're trying to reach Gen Zers or Zoomers, I've heard them called, or even millennials and um, even a lot of Gen Xers, this is like the number one thing they come into an evangelical church thinking is you are a bigot and you are hateful in how you think about homosexuality. The world says there's only two options. There's either affirmation or alienation. And they think we have to believe in alienation of these people. And and because of that, um, they don't give any moral authority to what I'm saying. And so I feel like I have to deal with that to show them that the gospel offers a third option. Um, which is is you don't affirm the behavior, but you affirm the individual as made in the image of God and somebody worthy of love and respect and 
and even protection. And so uh, I think don't ask, don't tell. I just don't think that works. So I think leaving that subject out when Romans includes it, I think that's counterproductive. I think in a church, because these, these Gen Zers and Zoomers come in with their own narrative about what I believe, I have to actually address it head on and say, hey, what you think we believe about this is not actually reflective of what we actually believe. There is a different alternative than than affirmation or alienation. There's also a couple of biblical problems why I don't think downplaying this or skipping it is is helpful. Uh, These are actually from an article that I posted on the Gospel Coalition. Um, You can look it up there if you want to kind of read this more in depth. But one of the things I said is that that removing the offense of the cross will also divest it of its power. Yes, it's true that we missionaries to our cultures, we try to think about the right ways to talk about things and the right timing of them. But the bottom line is Jesus commanded us to make disciples of all people and to teach them all that he had taught. And one of the things he taught was the sanctity of of marriage, what we call traditional marriage, marriage between one man and one woman in the context of lifelong matrimony. Um, Paul recognizes, like Jesus does, that that will make our message a stench of death to some. There's always something in the in the gospel and, and the preaching of the Bible that offends our generation. We're not the first generation in history to be offended by it. But Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 that if he were to remove the offense of the cross, whatever it is, he would also be divesting the cross of its power because God changes the heart when you're preaching the gospel, when you're preaching the Bible. He uses that to change the heart so that it becomes to some the aroma of life. At the center of the preaching of of the cross has always been repentance. And repentance properly understood, that's the really offensive thing here. Rosaria Butterfield and, and Beckett Cook, both of whom I, I reference in the article, both of them from early adult years lived a, a homosexual lifestyle. And both of them in their, their memoirs of how they became Christians say, really, when you think about what repentance is, is repentance means that you are choosing to die to anything that Jesus does not condone. Rosaria said, for me, one of those things I had to die to was my sexual choices, my sexual proclivities. She said there were a lot of other things too. And for every person who comes to Jesus, whether they're heterosexual or homosexual, they have to die. It's, it, it's that it's not, it's not harder for a homosexual to become a Christian. It's we both, all people have to die to control of their life and anything they desire that goes against the opposite of what Jesus wants. Um, I'm reading a book right now uh, by a guy named Thomas Brooks, an old Puritan book called Precious Remedies Against Satan Devices. And he says a lot of people want to have Jesus without repentance. And he said, what that means is they're going to get the church without heaven because you have to, you have to turn over complete control. And if that means certain parts of your sexuality, if that means a temper, if that means your ambition, if that means your desire for money, whatever it is, um, it's all got to be laid as a sacrifice at the feet of Jesus. So properly understood, it's not, it's not the Bible's teaching on sexuality that's offensive. It's the call to repentance that's offensive. And the second biblical reason just ties into that is that Jesus, who was the most evangelistically effective person ever, John says that he was full of grace and truth, grace and truth. I love the order. The order is not intentional. Um, John leads with grace. Jesus led with grace, which means that Jesus not only declared the truth, but there was a sense in which he affirmed people and drew them in and made them feel respect and dignity and love. And that made even people who whom he preached against their behavior and their choices and their inclinations, it made them want to be around him. Grace and truth, the two together is what John said was the glory of the Father embodied in Jesus. 
Um, as I said in the article, um, truth without grace, that that kind of sounds like fundamentalism. Uh, you know, preaching judgmental truth without and alienating people. Grace without truth, well, that's more like liberalism where you're just preaching acceptance, but you're not actually preaching truth. But Jesus was full of both grace and truth, and the two together are the power of God. John the Baptist was ultimately executed for preaching against a sexual sin in his day. And sometimes I wonder, uh, you know, I, I reflected on this in the article. Sometimes I wonder if if John the Baptist were around today, what a lot of, you know, our, our Christian spokespeople would say about John. You're like, John, if you just kept your mouth shut about open marriage, which was common in, you know, among royalty in those days, well, you could have kept your position of influence in, in Herod's court and you could have, you know, you could have had a, a long-term impact there. John, because he would not back down on the truth of what God's word says about marriage, ultimately lost his head. Um, what was Jesus' verdict? Jesus' verdict was, that's the greatest prophet ever to live. So I believe that when we downplay the truth side of Jesus's message, we're also cutting ourselves off from his presence. In this issue, I don't think ambiguity is kindness. I think clarity is kindness. I think we got to be as clear as the Bible says. I do think grace ought to come before truth. I think what our, our, our community ought to know about us is the excessiveness of our love and how we reach out and how we, even in the midst of preaching against their sin, affirm them as individuals and say they're worthy of dignity and respect and um, to love them and to protect them. But I think as we're doing that, we are proclaiming the truth that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, which is, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And he puts a lot of things in there, but prominent in that list, as with his list in Romans 1, are those who reject the creator's design for sexuality, one man, one woman, in uh, the context of marriage. And I don't think we do any favors by by muting that or diluting it. Ultimately, if we do that, we're going to put people on a path that Matthew describes as broad. Broad is the way of destruction and narrow is the way of life. We've got to preach repentance and dying to ourselves, regardless of whatever the the issue du jour is. So yes, talk about it gracefully. Talk about it um, with incredible winsomeness. Talk about it at the right time and with the right emphasis. Don't talk about it as a culture warrior. Talk about it in a way that invites people to conversation. Talk so talk about it in a way that recognizes that a lot of the of the same sex attracted people in our churches that grow up in our homes, that a lot of them, if they felt like they could just pray one prayer and get rid of it, they would. Talk about it with that kind of sympathy but talk about it clearly because when you cut yourself off from the truth side of the Bible, you're also ultimately going to cut yourself off from, from its power. I think this is an important issue. So yeah, I guess sort of long answer to a short question is downplaying the sin of homosexuality. Is it helpful in reaching the next generation? No. And that's why I included it as a part of this essential Christianity, this reflection on the high points of Paul's gospel logic in the book of Romans. All right, thanks so much, JD. Thanks for for just unpacking that and, and giving some um, helpful insight to our listeners. And again, if, if this was interesting, if this was helpful, um, we would encourage you to go pick up the book, Essential Christianity. It's available at thegoodbook.com. And we will see you next time, continuing on in this series. Um, in the meantime, please leave a review or a rating. And that just helps us get more people connected to the podcast. If you want more from Pastor JD, um, you can follow him on social media or you can go to jdgreer.com for more resources. And we'll see you next time on Ask Me Anything. Ask Me Anything.